Hey everyone, it's Jake here from Paul Goff's U.S. office in sunny Florida. This one is brought to you live from the stage at Paul's most recent Mastermind event in Nashville. Listen in as Paul opens the event by sharing with a room full of top clinic owners the four biggest things most business owners are missing. Paul talks in depth about profits, the number one thing that gets clinic owners stuck, why your people are the biggest leverage and maybe the biggest take-home point of all, what it means to build your business to be respected and not liked. Enjoy this episode and be sure to share your thoughts, comments, and questions over on Twitter by tagging at ThePaulGoff or use the hashtag AskPG. Thank you. Enjoy. This is the Paul Goff Audio Experience, business lessons for physical therapists. My name is Paul Goff, former professional soccer physical therapist turned successful business owner and best-selling author from the UK. Each week, we answer your questions and bring you an inspiring story or person from the global physical therapy community. This show is dedicated to sharing with you everything you need to know to become hugely successful in private practice. Thanks for joining me today. Now let the class begin. for the next uh, two days. So I've got some stuff to, to, to start. I always like to start with, just to wrap, spend a lot of time thinking about what is happening in the uh, community and just try and bring everybody together with some common challenges. So um, we'll kick this off for half an hour. I'll, I'll talk to you about eight or nine things that I'm seeing happening. Uh, a lot of them in the CEO program, some of them just from discussions I'm having with Simon about the challenges. And it, it's just my take on some of the things. It's not going to necessarily talk about marketing. It's just some high-level thinking that might sum up one or two of the challenges that you individually have got. So start to take notes and write these things down. You can survive for months without profit, but you can't survive one week without cash. I'll say it again. You can survive for months without profit, but you can't survive one week without cash. Cash flow is a huge thing to focus on in a fast-growing business. In a business that is, what we've seen a few people do is over-leverage quite quick in terms of bigger premises, new machinery, bigger loans, lines of credit, and so on and so forth with the expectation that because we are getting a bigger premises or because we are adding something to the business that we're going to bring more revenue in. Cash flow is the thing that will kill you. And there's three ways to ultimately improve your cash flow. This is it. Are you ready? Write these down. So increase accounts payable. I'll talk you through them. Just listen to my voice as I go through. You can increase accounts payable. You can decrease accounts receivable. Or you can sell more stuff. That's it. Now, the big thing, I'll talk you through them, but the big thing to not confuse is the difference between cash flow and a cash flow problem and not having enough revenue. So you've got to separate the two. Do you have a genuine cash flow problem or do you have a genuine lack of revenue problem, i.e., are you not getting enough people through the doors? You're not getting enough people to stay on schedule. So increase accounts payable, what does that mean? It means you can delay payments on everybody that you owe money to except me. <laughs> I always give advice like cut expenses and people are like, can I cut yours? I'm like, no, that, that, that bit didn't count. Like, I'm not an expense. I'm a dynamic cost. <laughs> I am a dynamic investment. If you want to put me anywhere, that, that's where you put it. Just say to your bookkeeper, that's not an expense. I need him up, up there, right at the top. 
So accounts payable, what does that mean? So if you owe somebody money, just don't pay for 30 days, basically. The secret behind Apple's success, and I learned this when I was on the course in, in Austin, Apple's success is that you're able to bring accounts payable, um, increase accounts payable days to something like 120. So they basically sign companies up who want to do business with them, that the other company will deliver on Apple's behalf our service, and Apple basically says, great, but we ain't paying you for 120 days. That's the deal, right? An account's receivable. If you owe them money, you have to pay it within 12 days. That's the deal. Otherwise, they don't do business with you. And if you're late, they'll just go give it to somebody else. So think about what that means. It's 108 days where they've got everybody's cash. They've got, that's why they've got so much money at any one particular time. Somebody figured out how to increase their cash by increasing accounts payable and reducing accounts receivable. Accounts receivable is the difference between a business that there's two people in this room who I've worked with very closely in the last year that have on paper very good businesses that I would buy into because there is enough going on in terms of patience and volume and people spending money who haven't reported as much actual operating cash and don't ever feel rich and don't ever feel as though they've got any money because the eye's been taken off the ball in cash flow, in accounts receivable. The wild swings that sometimes you see when you um, report this quarter's been good. So the last three months for some people may have been good in that you made twenty or $30,000. But for one person, I know, the reason for it being so profitable was because of money that was collected after six, seven, or eight months from last year. You can't run a business like that. You cannot run a business with such operational accounts receivable inefficiencies. The, the, a big problem, without me going into it in too much detail, a big problem is a lot of people run a cash-based business, as in, even if you're insurance, it's debits and credits. It's this money came in, this money went out. To run a... To run a I'm not going to say a real business, but to give yourself optics, optics as in what is actually happening, you've got to switch to accrual. Accrual-based accounting, which is this is what happened, this is what came in, this is what we spent, and this is what we did. So this was the bills that we produced, and this is what we're expecting. And what it will do is it will expose the accounts receivable problem that most people are having. And it, and it literally becomes the number one thing that you should be focusing on. Because for many of you, the operational effect, uh, effectiveness is there and people are coming in, people are spending money in terms of bills are being generated, but money's not actually coming in. It's huge for you to consider. In Britain, so my physio clinic, so this is this slight difference when it comes to taxing, which is what I've had to be so cautious of this, this thing. In Britain, we pay tax on profits. So what that means is if I generate a bill, even if I haven't got the cash, I have to pay the tax, which kills you if you're not good at accounts receivable. And then I have to fight with the government. If somebody doesn't pay my bill, I have to fight with the government to get the tax that I paid back. So we got very early um, in business conditioned that the accounts receivable issue is like the lifeblood. It really is in a, in a growing business. So be very, very careful of just falling into debits and credits and thinking this month was good. Focus hugely on what did we produce? What bills did we send out? There will be some kind of discount that you have to consider, obviously if there's insurance companies but you need some kind of methodical, if you like, process of understanding where your cash should be so that somebody on a Monday morning is aware of what the accounts receivable is right now. Because that, for many, 
some, somebody in here right now, $70,000, $80,000 that is coming down to forty, thirty, forty-five thousand dollars $45,000, the difference that that makes to your life is huge because of then who you can employ, the marketing you can do, and so on and so forth. And the other obvious one is to sell more things, get people to stay on schedule more often. So it's three things in cash flow. Extend, if you're ever in a bind. Extend your accounts payable. Reduce your accounts receivable. Sell more things. Number two, the biggest problem really is we don't do what we do know. It is not, I don't know what I don't know. So I'll say it again. The common, the common misconception is that if I'm not doing well in business, it's because of something that I don't know. And a, a lot of people will tell me, I, don't, I just don't know what I don't know. I actually even used to use the phrase myself. That's not gonna hurt you as much is not doing what you do know, I promise you. The, 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 the gratification and the excuse almost of the I don't know what I don't know suggests that you've done everything that you do know. And I'm gonna put it to you that most of you are not doing 99% of what you do know, yours truly included. Tom Brady doesn't learn anything new at this point of his career. It is just the absolute, non-stop execution of the fundamental basic things that got him there in the first place. There's no way that you, you, you know, your Tom Brady's, your um, LeBron James, anybody who is at the world-class level right now is learning anything new. They are just fundamentally executing on the thing that they already know how to do, but doing it 10, 20, 30% better than they did last year. That's it. They're not, they're not kicking a ball any differently, they're just kicking it better. There's no new skill or new technique figuratively to learn at that point of their career when they are world-class. They just got to the point of executing on the fundamentals. Number three, all of your leverage is in people. All of your leverage is in people. How do you expect to grow if you have mediocre people? If all of your leverage is in people, which it is, even systems are run by people, how do you expect to grow if you have mediocre people? Number four, build your business to be respected, not liked. This is huge. So many in business want to be liked by patients. We want to be liked by staff. We want to be liked by pretty much everybody, and as a result, are a half-assed version of the person we should be. Sales is a classic example when it comes to the price conversation. So I mentioned Joanne and Nancy. Prices have, have, have gone up like a rocket, and the direct reason that that will happen is because they, now don't, they don't need to be liked. That's it. If you really dig deep into why your fear of selling is, it's not because it's healthcare. It's not because you want to give away free treatment. It's because you're fearful of being rejected and disliked for doing so. And if you understand that concept and remind yourself that you don't need the person that is staring you in the face to like you in order to go to bed tonight happy, what we need them to do is respect you for being honest, for telling them what the price is and what they need to do business with you in order to achieve the outcome that they want. 
And it's the same with staff. We're going to have a great session this afternoon on the support challenge matrix. Some of you will figure out where you are in the leadership matrix right now. Whether you're a protector, whether you're a, uh, too dominant, whether you are an abdicator, whether you are a liberator. And many times what you find in, in our types of businesses, healthcare, where naturally you want to help people, you become a protector. And you want to be liked naturally by people. Now the only thing that you can do is be aware of that. That it's actually happening to you. That many of your conversations have been swayed by a need to be liked. And I'm going to encourage you to start swaying your conversations to be respected. I don't need you to like me. I don't need my kids to love me. That's not the deal. The deal is I love them. There's nothing that I signed in a contract on the 4th of October 2013 that says this kid has to love me. But I have to love him. That's the deal. And much like with staff, I don't need you to like me. There's nothing in this contract that says me and you need to, to like each other. But we have to respect each other. I have to respect you and you have to respect me. These are my standards. This is what I expect. My job is to communicate that to you clearly, fairly, firmly. Be consistent. All of the things you would do as a parent. To my staff. To my vendors. To anybody that does business with me. What we're seeing more and more, again, as business is in here grow, we're seeing that evolution. I'm going to keep saying it to Joanne and Nancy. It's the moving from I need to be liked to I want to be respected. And that type of conversation with a staff person. Thank you for listening to Paul Goff's audio experience. If you're brand new to Paul's world, head on over to paulsmarketingbook.com where you can get started with his number one best-selling marketing book for physical therapists. Or if you've been listening to the show for a while, you like what you hear and you think that you could benefit from this type of help to accelerate the growth and profitability of your practice, reach out to Paul's team at paul at paulgoff.com and tell us exactly what you're looking for. And by the way, if you know someone who would benefit from today's show, please share it with them. And if you've got any questions that you want answered, tweet Paul at the Paul Goff using the hashtag AskPG. You can also find all of these details over in today's show notes. All right, until next time, have a wonderful day.